Hey everybody, Drew here. Just a warning that this episode contains some ableist language around the 42 minute mark. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars that, by the way, is Portuguese for many years turning chickens. <laughs> okay. It is uh, apparently an idiomatic expression for saying someone is an expert at something because they've spent so long doing it. Oh, I like uh, it. Something particularly apropos for one driver this weekend. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I always feel good when there's Nando's reference right at the top of the show. I would love some of that Portuguese chicken slash, I think it's actually South African owned. But you know, Nando's, let's go there. Let's get that peri-peri sauce and, and eat outdoors in a place that isn't my home. That'll be fun. Speaking of sweet sauce, Rob Zachney is here also. How are you, Rob? Uh, not too bad. Just really desperate to go anywhere and see anyone. <laughs> I, uh, I I uh, was fixing my television earlier. I had to get a new IR receiver because the old Noclip Studio TV would just randomly go to 100 volume, um, which was really annoying. So it was in my basement. So I just fixed it, I think. Uh, so I have it on store mode in the spare room, which is fun because it just cycles through a bunch of pictures of New York. So I, I kind of <laughs> sat there and enjoyed that for a few minutes <laughs> before I wept and then came back into this room. So uh, yeah, New York's looking great, Rob. Um, I shouldn't worry. Yeah, you should you should head there. It's it's, it's a good time. You're you're much closer than I am. Times Square. Wicked. Oh well, <laughs> st- stick with us, and you we you will be virtually transported around the globe. <laughs> true. Uh, this week we will be going uh, from Portugal to Italy. But uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you're new to Formula One itself, we have a podcast episode just for you. It's our preseason primer episode that assumes no prior F1 knowledge. Uh, and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you want to go listen to that, it's episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons, covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to get access to all of that fun stuff and support the show, head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes what's going on in patreon land this month danny a quick apology to our san marino listeners for drew saying we're heading to italy uh technically you may i'm not sure if you're right or wrong but i'm <laughs> sure all polit- one of our <laughs> san marino listener <laughs> if we have one san marino listener please email us yes. i would love to know that we have a listener in san marino um yes we have to, we've we've turned currently have two and movie reviews uh, in the chamber. We haven't decided which chamber we're going to fire yet. Well, that metaphor fell apart quick. Uh, Cars, the Pixar classic, we have decided, is is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. I think we hit that wheelhouse. one. I think we hit that one and we saved the, save the other one. Okay, let's save the other one then. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, it's, a, it's, it's maybe fewer wheels than we're used to, um, but it's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a really good one. Uh, so yeah, head on over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 to get access to our back catalog and to listen to that one when it goes live. Uh, apologies if it's a little bit late this month. We, are, we sort of got inundated with um, a new consoles, which is causing a little bit of uh, uh, extra work here on... Uh, and in in the team so uh uh our day jobs People are a little bit in video messier. game land yeah. exactly yeah it happens uh well let's just jump into it we got a lot to hit today uh portugal portimao um tricky track free practice mm. two we had verstappen and stroll collide at turn one Ooh. um ghastly caught on fire qualifying was delayed a half an hour due to vettel kicking up a drain cover uh, but oh, things on. all shook you, out. You say it as if he did that out of spite. Oh, there goes Vettel again, <laughs> kicking up those drain covers as is his want. <laughs> what was it? Was it Baku that that happened? Yeah. This happens occasionally. Yeah, yeah. The street circuits. ripped the uh, thing straight out. It looked like manhole. Yeah, this was more of a um, this was more of like a sewer grate, the, find, the type you find at a, on a at a curb. Um, but it does look like it was one of those things where it might have just been in there via just sheer weight. Um, Because usually these things aren't that heavily secured because the weight of them is enough to to stand up to anything, but not the incredible low pressures generated by uh, by an F1 car (laughs) ripping by overhead. 
Uh, well, here's how the grid shook out eventually, once we got things bolted down. Lewis Hamilton, pole position. Uh, amazingly, he and Botas, right behind him in second place, set uh, their fastest times in the third session of qualifying on the medium tire. Mm. Uh, a lot of uh, tire choices will um, come into play here in the opening laps. Max Verstappen qualified third, and behind him, Charles Leclerc in fourth. Uh, diffuser upgrades working well for that Ferrari. Uh, Sergio Perez in fifth, Alex Albon in sixth, Carlos Sainz in seventh, Lando Norris, his teammate in eighth, uh, Pierre Gasly in ninth, and Daniel Ricciardo rounding up the top ten. He spun off the track at the end of Q2 and backed into a wall. Uh, apparently, the team was not able to repair the car for Q3, so he didn't uh, end up setting a time, uh, but he qualified 10th. Behind him, we've got Ocon, Stroll, Kvyat, uh, Russell, once again qualifying in the top 15, out-qualifying the man just behind him, Sebastian Vettel, in 15th. Then we've got Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, Grosjean, Magnussen, and Latifi. Uh, a little cold and drizzly to start mm. the race here. Um, <laughs> Rob is uh, rubbing his hands together. In anticipation, uh, like I said, tire choice is going to be important here in the opening stages. Hamilton and Botas, again, um, since they set their times in Q2 on the medium tire, that is the race they will start. Uh, that is, the, Those are the tires they will start the race on. Verstappen is on softs. Leclerc also on mediums in fourth place, but the rest of the top 10 uh, all on softs. Everyone else from then on, though, uh, is medium or hard, except for Raikkonen, crucially, who is starting down in 16th place uh danny do you want to take us through the start of this absolutely portuguese uh, usually i do the first couple of um turns but for this i'm probably just going to do the entire first lap because there was uh, quite a lot of movement as you said uh the drizzle and the cold air was going to be a contributing factor uh, generally though over the past couple of days in practice they were having a bunch of trouble getting heat into the tires and also the variability on this track um, was all over the place. Uh, parts of the track warmer than other parts. Uh, gr grip, maybe the undulating nature of the track with downforce wind. sort of turning up. Exactly, wind was another factor. It was, and it, again, it's just perhaps a lot of uh, learning the track and learning, you know, all the different requirements they'll need to do on the steering wheel at different parts, which in other tracks they'll sort of have a bit more experience with. So, yeah, going into this, it was kind of like a little bit of a potluck. Like, we could see a lot of action here. Um, and it didn't disappoint. Um, when the lights went out, uh, Hamilton got away pretty good. Uh, Botas, not a fantastic start, uh, but Verstappen got ahead of him pretty quickly. Um, though he did fight back. This is the, what was going on basically was that no one had great grip all the time. So, well, except maybe Kimi, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> a lot of drivers had good grip in certain parts, maybe when they were on the line or off the line, or maybe the driver ahead or behind them had just worse grip than they had at a certain stage. And you just had cars overtaking each other left, right, and center. So uh, Bottas squeezed Verstappen out on the next turn, which then got him ahead of him. Uh, Verstappen then is sort of feeding back onto the track, takes a little bit of a wide one as Perez is trying to overtake him. Um, and he ends up uh, knocking Perez pretty uh, heavily and spinning Perez into the gravel. Perez does recover the car and is able to continue, but it looked like he might have been uh, written off at that stage. Um, Ruled a racing incident. No penalties there. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, I'm not, there's a couple of those, kind of 6-1. First happened was involved in one of those with um, uh, with our friend, uh, why can't I never remember his name? Um Lance Stroll, Lawrence, Lance Stroll, thank you, there we go, uh, with Stroll in practice, they had a, a coming together which was also sort of ruled a 50-50, a I think you could, I, I wouldn't blame anyone for blaming either one of those drivers for it, um, but I think on the balance of things, maybe both of them were being a little bit silly, um, but anyway, back to the race, uh, Vatas then gets past Hamilton, who seems to suddenly be struggling massively for, for grip, there's loads of lockups going into that fourth corner, and then Carlos Sainz starts making a tear for it. He gets past Verstappen, um, pulls up. He gets past Hamilton. Uh, so now we've got Bottas, Sainz, and I think Hamilton then, and then Verstappen. Uh, Norris is also making a massive go. He gets past Leclerc and Verstappen. Leclerc had a decent start, um, but is now struggling for grip. Um, and then Kimi Raikkonen makes his his latest uh, overtake. I think he was in seventh by the end of lap one, which considering he started in 16th, um, I guess those soft tires and maybe just 
you know, finish driving school in slippery conditions. I do kind of wonder, like, was it the rally driver effect, the sort of the national motorsport of, like, Finland being used with these things around kind of dodgy tracks and you just sort of drive by touch? Um and that's kind of where where Kimi sings. Uh, by the way, just off, just completely aside. Sorry, did you ever see the video of him doing like twenty questions with um, Giovinazzi uh, around the Nurburgring? One, around yeah, North we Life? talked about we yeah. talked about it last week. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's fun, right? Because like, I guess I, I isn't it? Do you think it's bizarre that Giovinazzi does not know the Norwich Life? I don't because I think I think so many uh, current like younger F1 drivers are so wedded to just the open wheel racing circuit that they don't do much else. Um, And so I would not be surprised like a younger driver just hasn't done Nordschleife. Whereas Kimmy does seem to know the track pretty well. I was just more startled by the fact that like Giovinazzi is a, a real racing driver and looked visibly scared. Um, driving alongside uh, Kimi, so that that to me was the like, if if you, if Kimi can terrify another driver, uh, just sort of whipping around the track, um, I don't know. I assume that means he's got some game. Yeah, it's funny. I enjoyed that. Um, uh, I think the last note I have for the first lap is Ricardo getting past Albon. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it that that early part of it, it seemed like the rain that was spitting the little little bit of. Um, mm-hmm spitting that was going on was probably in the first couple of turns it looked like because whenever they got down there it just seemed like dodgems yeah so uh by the second lap Raikkonen um has gotten up to seventh place and then immediately drag racing Leclerc not even with DRS down the main straight into turn one and he gets it that is the tire difference here people um signs then takes the lead yeah from Valtteri Bottas and leads for what three laps uh, before those soft tires finally start to fall off and the mediums uh, come into their own. So uh, Botas retakes the lead on lap six. Signs also seeds second to Hamilton. Say that ten times fast. Uh, <laughs> one lap, one lap later, um, Verstappen also gets by Signs for third place on lap eight. Uh, and on the same lap, Leclerc gets by Raikkonen again. So the the mm. soft tire provided a real nice show, um, but uh, it did sadly temporarily. So right. Um, speaking of Lance Stroll and Turn One, yeah. uh, lap eighteen here, he's going for a pass on Norris on the outside of Turn One with some late braking, and I actually thought the move looked good until he decided that yes, I'm going to now hit the apex. And assume Lando Norris has disappeared. Uh, he, he turns in way too sharply, connects with Norris, and uh, spins off the track. Uh, what did you make of this one, Rob? Um, I mean, I, my note here says, uh, Stroll, huge fuck up with Norris. <laughs> Five seconds. <laughs> um, so, even at the time... Get off uh, the fence. Yeah, even even at the time, I was. Um, it's such a bad. There's like there's layers of badness to it. Here's the here's where I guess I'm sympathetic. Uh, with the wind, it was clear that like he was startled at his rate of overtake, um, mm. and I can sort of see that. Remember the the wind shifted points uh, over the course of this race. It was blowing one direction, then it shifted, and so I could easily imagine there being a point where you're just sort of stunned at how quickly. Your DRS seems to like have activated some sort of supercharge ability. Uh, you know, you went over the the little um, chevrons to go to make your car go fast uh, to to do the overtake. So, like, I get it, um, but as the driver who's executing that overtake, you have all the initiative. You know what I mean? It's like like if you end up in a position where there's only bad options, that's entirely on you because it didn't seem mm-hmm. like Norris had any like from his perspective. It was like it seemed like Stroll just emerged from the void, right? Like he sounded genuinely like frightened when he just went like ripping past him. Um, and then makes that horrible decision to just sort of twitch it outside, uh, and try to go the wide way around. Um, and that, yeah, there was, there, there was no way that was going to end well. Uh, and so like 
to me, it looked like a pretty serious error, um, both of anticipation and then of judgment. Yeah, Danny, anything to add? No, yeah, I, I, I agree. It was it, like what you said as well at the start. He he seemed to have a great do a great job of it, and then just bottled it at the end. Like he, I, I can understand that drivers were worried about track limits here as well. There was a lot of uh, a lot of warnings getting thrown out, um, and the outside of that turn. You know, if you're taking a little bit too much heat into that and you go a little bit wide, I can see you having to concede it or, or getting a warning. We had a couple of drivers of some uh, the, the the black dotted flag uh, this race. So uh, maybe he also ahead of him saw what happened with Verstappen and Botas when you when you give a bit more, too much space there. So, um, yeah, just a shame on another one of these uh, just silly sort of errors. And on that same turn where he had the problem with Vettel, the Vettel one of practice was interesting because he said he literally didn't look. He was too busy ch- doing his steering wheel stuff, um, which uh, which isn't as bad as that time Maldonado was doing his steering wheel stuff and forgot to turn and went in the gravel. That was funny. Um, but, <laughs> you mean uh, Verstappen on the straight? Verstappen was the first. Oh, sorry, Verstappen. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Verstappen. My, I got my V drivers <laughs> confused. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a shame, a shame. Yeah, both Land- of them. Lando wasn't happy. Yeah, he was not. He kind of, you know, um, torpedoed his his race. Uh, they both pit. Stroll gets a time penalty, as you said, Rob, and eventually does retire. Uh, one lap later, though, Hamilton has closed to Botas. This is lap nineteen, uh, and gets by with DRS on the main straight for the lead. One lap later, Gasly does the same to Signs uh, mm. for fifth place. Gasly having another great race, having started in ninth position. Um, then we've got lap 33. Signs also involved in a pretty good battle with oh, Raikkonen for so 10th good. place. So much yeah. fun. Um, Raikkonen tries to pass on the inside of turn one, but Signs stays ahead until Raikkonen gets another one of those inside lines and they pull even for a bit. Uh, Signs though, has the inside line for turn five, I think it is, and he pulls ahead, but Raikkonen does the switchback. So he switches it up from outside to inside and swings ahead. Uh, and I think he pulls ahead for a little bit, but then signs gets ahead by the next lap. Um, I had a question about that. How did you feel to me? That was a great duel that is eventually sort of mooted by the DRS zone, which the, the feeling I had watching this race was this circuit seems good. Like the cars mm. seem to be able to mix it up pretty much in every sector a little bit. Um, but they didn't have to because the DRS was so powerful here that like, that was clearly the place where if you had the pace and you wanted to make it stick, you could just go sailing past yeah. somebody uh, in the DRS. And it did feel like Raikkonen was having this really great defense, but it kind of got mooted just by the fact that uh, there's an easy overtake option uh, here. And it was one of the rare moments where I was like, ah, DRS kind of, uh, you know, hit stop on what was shaping up to be a pretty good, uh, you know, dicey duel. Yeah, I think Brundle even said something like uh, that the DRS zone was too powerful and they needed to shorten it by 100 meters or something. Yeah, it's um, a but, long straight you know, as well, that one. Yeah, it's it's been... Uh, we've never raced here, so <laughs> I can imagine if we come back, maybe some that's a place to do some tweaks. Yeah, I did feel... I, I think, to Rob's point, the wind also gave it that little bit more sugar that sort of... That's what killed it then. Um, mm-hmm. the length and the speed and the advent. It's interesting though, because like looking ahead to Imola this weekend, what was cool about this track was that it was it is quite wide. Like it, it was built with sort of you know it was it's a relatively new track, so they had sort of modern F one cars in mind or modern cars in mind, and and that width allowed that lovely little bit of back and forth we had between the two of them. Which um, another nice fun part was looking at signs in Kimi and then looking at the next laps battle with Perez and Ocon yeah and looking at how much space signs and Kimmy give them and just how mean Perez is man he just like <laughs> he closes doors like like immediately yeah um Perez had made it up to sixth after being spun around by Verstappen at mm. the opening lap um but yeah he he pulls all kinds of switcheroos and makes it past Ocon with uh, a daring move around the outside I think that was uh, also turn five mm. um See here, lap 40, Hamilton Hamilton pits for, for hard tires from the mediums, and Botas comes on the radio, asks which tires Hamilton got. Uh, he, he is told hard tires, so he requests the softs, hoping to game, gain uh, some kind of advantage over Hamilton. 
uh lap 41 both test pits and they give him hard tires <laughs> yeah that was a long that was like a lot of it's 65 lap race man that's a, a lot of especially on this track which seems to be chewing them up um yeah and he was nine or ten seconds behind at that point yeah so um lap 45 gasly's still making up places he passes ricardo on the inside of turn one for seventh place uh and with three laps to go um gasly's made his way up to sixth just behind perez and tries a move on the inside of turn one but Mm. perez again like you said danny puts up a very good defense uh on the next lap, however, Perez tries the outside this time and does manage to get it done into fifth place. Sadly for Perez, Sainz is also waiting in the wings and gets by him for sixth place. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, Lewis Hamilton ran away with it here, beating Valtteri Bottas by 25 seconds. Uh, a commanding win to uh, put him over Michael Schumacher's 91 wins to... Uh, his own 92. Uh, Valtteri Bottas in second place. Max Verstappen in third. Charles Leclerc in fourth. Pierre Gasly in fifth. Followed by Sainz, Perez, Ocon, Ricardo, and Vettel making it up to the last points paying position behind him. Kimi Raikkonen in 11th. Uh, Alex Albon in 12th. Uh, Lando Norris 13th. Uh, George Russell started and ended in 14th place. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi in 15th, and then Magnuson, Grosjean, Latifi, Kvyat, and uh, a DNF in Stroll. Grosjean, uh, I, I see noted here, also has a five-second time penalty uh, for exceeding track limits. Um, his and uh, Hamilton <laughs> scored an additional point for finishing uh, with the fastest lap of the race. Yes, like we said, Lewis Hamilton has the most wins of any human in Formula One. There you go. The robot. And he's not. So. He's not done yet. He's not. No. He has. Uh, he's done very well for himself. <laughs> let's say. Obviously, in in uh, the the Mercedes in the past couple of years, that is where the bulk of his his wins have come from. But um, yeah, just dominated. Today was like a classic Hamilton from three years ago when you know just like absolutely dominated. And you got to feel for Bot- Bottas, who's kind of he was reminding me of like. He's sort of like Novak Djokovic. He's like he's like an r- incredible talent in the car, but he came along at the wrong time. You know, it's like Rafael Nadal, <laughs> Roger Federer here, man. You got <laughs> you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you know wait your turn. Ta- wait your turn. Um, he it's just such a it's it's such a frustrating thing because again Hamilton is this uh, we've said it before, but like he excels in so many different conditions and circumstances that it's like. It's he's not like one of those guys where it's like, okay, if we can get him on clay, you know, like he's not so good on a clay right. court. No, he's going to be really good on that too. And so like, it's like this, I think race kind of typified that, uh, Botas got off to a great start and like was elbows out and had a really good opening stint against Hamilton. He's pulled that off a couple times. His ability now to, uh, give Hamilton a fight early in the race has, has visibly improved over the course of the season still doesn't hold up against the fact that even in tricky conditions like this, um, Hamilton has a better feel for tires, even in these situations where like nobody really knows what the tires are going to do. So you can't say that he's it's, he's also just not one of those drivers who is uh, just taking data and like processes experiences very well here. Everyone is kind of off book. He was still able to get far more, uh, from his tires than uh, Botas was, and so it's like yeah. you kind you 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 don't need to you can't beat him once. You have to beat him like four or five times over the course of a race weekend as you enter different phases of the contest. Yeah, and it's amazing how well he does considering just the uncharted waters they were in on this one. And um, there was a great quote from him after the race where he talked about you know all that trouble he had with grip at the start and uh, Botas getting ahead of him, and he basically kind of said that like I wasn't. Re- I knew then that I, I wasn't racing him. Like I just, I, it was too, it was too squirrely. I didn't want to risk it and risk binning the car. I feel like Hamilton five or six years ago would have driven that car right up to its limit and maybe would have paid the price. But he said like, look, I, I decided I'd race him later in the race. Like I, I just wanted to make sure that I was, got through those first couple of laps um, and then it'll come back to me. And it did. And his, his command of, you know, this was a brand new circuit in, 
weird weather that like no one was anticipating it wasn't like the previous days in the weekend the weekend was already weird with variable race conditions or uh, circuit conditions and he's just nobody seems to feel the car as good as him like he just he can he, he he is his his feet are the wheels he seems to be able to understand grip and where it is and the limits of the car and granted he has a really good car but i think the best litmus test for hamilton's skill is just the delta in between him and Vatas in this race, you know, it's uh, did, yeah, he's a did you generational talk last, talent. Did you talk last week about um, uh, what's his name, uh, Andrew Andrew Shovlin, uh, at Mercedes, who 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 was an engineer for both Schumacher, uh, yeah, Andrew Shovlin, uh, was an engineer for both Schumacher, uh, during his stint at Mercedes and then at Hamilton. Did you see the thing that he uh? His interview with uh, Dieter Rankin and Hazel Southwell uh, talking about like how the two guys stack up. No, I don't. No. Do you see it's true? No. No. Yeah, it was, just, it was an interesting thing. I sort of marked it marked it out because um, he was sort of talking about how really similar the two drivers are in some ways. Um, one is that they will always be um, when it, like both of them are really interested in trying to figure out not just where tenths of seconds are going, but like hundredths. And they will like ask after, okay, well, where, like, where am I losing these really small gains? Um, and they will, they would both ch- sort of chase them down. Even among drivers, that's kind of unusual because a lot of people don't have, I guess, I would imagine they don't have the precision to chase down like performance gains that are that marginal. Um, and then the other thing that the Chauvelin sort of reports is that like, Schumacher and Hamilton are both kind of eerie in that all those little tweaks and changes uh, that they sort of try to figure out, like, what's the ideal way to attack a lap? As you might imagine, it turns into quite the grocery list of things you have to do each time you're bringing the car around. And they just, neither of them forget it. Like, Michael wouldn't forget this stuff, neither does Hamilton, which is why their laps have this sort of like eerie perfection to them and why Hamilton like when like why Bono can basically give Hamilton the time and Hamilton surprise is always able to just sort of deliver that time um, sort of on cue. And so that was interesting in that I think right now, obviously we're going to see a lot of Schumacher or Hamilton comparisons. Um, I think we we can we can get to it later if we talk about uh, Landon Norris's comments a little bit later in the show, but uh, I I do think they're very different sorts of drivers in uh, particularly like when it comes to things like sort of on track sportsmanship, uh, mm. but in terms of like that sort of almost like maniacal um, like sort of chiseling away at the marble of the perfect F one lap, they're, they're, apparently they're both very similar in that respect. Yeah, you get to see that a little bit in the second season of Drive to Survive where I forget what happens, but Hamilton's sort of distraught at some piece of his performance. Um, and it, you can tell there's this like intensity there, like that just he's I, I, if someone described him as relentless, I could totally see that, um, you know, about about the data. Um, and I think it's one of those situations for me, at least, that it's kind of hard to fathom um this achievement uh number one because i you know I, I wasn't watching during schumacher's reign um or or vettel's uh, either um but it's i imagine it'll be a thing that you know 20 years from now you, you know people will look back and and those that did watch hamilton in his prime and go like wow I, I, i'm glad that i got to see that um it now we're so used to his dominance that it yes. doesn't feel much different. Mm. Um, but yeah, taking an overhead view, uh, I think um, I think we're we're pretty lucky to uh, to see this. I've, I'm happy to have seen it. I would now also like to stop seeing it. Yes, yeah, I think that's uh, that that feeling is also there. I'm happy. Yeah. The thing is, I'm happy to see him continue winning, but I want to see him fight for it. Like, yeah, yeah, yes. If, like I would like to see if if Hamilton continues to be the best, I would like it to be more in the vein of, uh, you know, his first championships, uh, his his first Ooh. one McLaren, or <laughs> you know what I mean, or that first season where he arrived Hard alongside flush. Alonso. Yeah, um, you know, just just get things. Uh, the guy the guy needs some some honest to god competition, and and Botas can provide some, but. Uh, yeah, I would like to see another car from another team be competitive and another driver in that car be competitive. Yeah. Speaking of drivers, we've got some uh, updates to the driver market. 
Uh, although in uh, typical Shift F1 fashion, I'm sure some announcements will be made as soon as we post this podcast or <laughs> perhaps even before. Um, the Haas drivers, uh, both of them are out both. for next year. Both. both of them. That I didn't see. No, no. It's, I, I didn't see it happening. It's also not surprising, but it is surprising, but it's not surprising. <laughs> right. I think, yeah, um, like we were saying next year, like it could be or uh, last episode next year could be uh, totally different or all the same. It's kind of a toss up. Um, Haas is going all new here. Uh, Roman Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen are both out of the team. I think even Grosjean was like, we, I thought one of us was going to go. I didn't think both of us, but um, the rumor or the um, the reason that uh, Gunther Steiner at least gave Grosjean was that it was for financial reasons. Uh, the rumor is that uh, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin from Formula 2 will be taking those seats. There is no confirmation yet uh, of that, nor has Alfa Romeo cur- uh, confirmed anyone yet. Uh, the other team with Ferrari engines, mm. we do expect that, by the way, uh, by the end of this week. So, again, <laughs> watch watch the Twitter feed. Uh, I thought it was funny, though, that Grosjean, I don't know if you guys watched qualifying, but uh, because he's out of a drive, he does not care at all about nope. what he says about his team. What he says, track limits, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Uh, so I have a, 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 his quotes here about the the Haas car from Autosport.com, which I thought was really interesting. Like, I don't know what half the stuff means, but um, it's, it's, it's insight that we rarely get, much less for a car that's currently driving. Um, so Grosjean says, uh, we are struggling with the rear suspension overheating, meaning that the platform keeps altering and the ride height keeps changing at the rear from one lap to the other. We can pick up up to 4.4% of aero balance. Uh, Grosjean says that as the suspension heats and then cools, the ride height moves around and the team has not found a solution to the problem yet. Quote, uh, it gets hot at the end of P1. Uh, it gets P3. a ride height and then it, uh, sorry, P3. It gets a ride height and then it cools down and you start qualifying with a different one. Then every lap, the rear suspension heats up and the rear ride height changes. Normally, normally we're struggling a little bit, but this weekend, the magnitude is twice bigger and we've got no idea why. I feel for my race engineer because they roll the dice and they decide which flap we are going to go on, but we never know where it's going to end up. We've had the issue a bit all year long, but this weekend has been, for some reason, really exaggerated. So we're struggling with that. The car is never the same one lap to the other. Bizarre. It's like a fucking (laughs) lowrider. What's going on? I've never heard of this. Is that metal expanding and contracting, or or is it the rigidity of the of the suspension coils that are that are fluctuating? I don't know. I, and I don't know if it's unusual, right? Like we, again, we hear so little about this stuff, right? Um, that this could be a problem that other teams have had and solved. Um, but yeah, I just I th- think that stuff's fascinating. Um, other things that are up in the air: uh, Alex Albon has mm. not yet been confirmed at Red Bull. Not a great week. Uh, no, he basically has to have an awesome next race because the team according to Autosport, expects to make a decision before the Turkey race uh, in the middle of November. So uh, Horner did say that Albon will at least finish out the season in the car. They're not going to put somebody else in toward the end. <laughs> if um, they took someone out for the last like two races. Though. I mean, it's been, it's happened. A remember. lot. All right, here's, here's my fix. Okay. Promote Franz Tost. Like, genuinely, I feel like the driver progression has been better up through the support team. Right, yeah. And there's something bad that Marco and uh, Horner are putting in the water over there. And Tost has a reputation as being kind of a kind of a weird dude, but, like, also just a pure, like, guy lives for racing. And the talent pipeline has looked really good up until how many drivers is this that like Red Bull's been like, hell yeah. All right. This guy's ready to go. Like, like we got another, we got a, you know, great driver coming up through the, through the ranks here. And then the promotion happens and it just goes wrong. Kvyat was the first one. We could all say, okay, well, you know, Kvyat drove like an asshole and sort of took himself out of, 
out of uh, the running. Verstappen's the only one who's sort of proven this, uh, you know, has sort of proven the system works. And now we've had two major whiffs, and Gasly strikes me as a canary where it's like, guy mm. went back to his old team and started driving like an ace again. Um, yeah, or, or people go uh, um, elsewhere, like uh, Signs was part of, you know, he, he yeah. was Toro Rosso. Um, Ricardo's a bit of a different one because he, he was successful at Red Bull until Verstappen came along, and then but then he bailed. And so. we're seeing, and you see the same thing. Like, this feels like uh, Horner and Marco both being like, well, you know, obviously publicly supportive, but he needs to, you know, bring up his game a little bit. And so, like, like right down to their playbook for handling the messaging around a driver who's struggling with the transition, um, that hasn't changed as well. And now we've got, like, three drivers that have basically cracked under the pressure uh, of, of that team. And so, I mean, to, to me, I am genuinely, uh, <laughs> I am genuinely curious uh, whether or not you would see the same dynamics uh, play out, like, Horner seems personable enough, but in terms of like driver coach, driver mentor, handling that part of it, um, it seems like unless you're named Max Verstappen, the worst thing mm. that can happen to you is you get tapped uh, to be sort of the emergency sub uh, sent in at Red Bull. Well, um, true to form, Red Bull says that uh, they hope that Albon can pull it together. Um, but they are looking outside the Red Bull ecosystem uh, for presumably Hulkenberg for someone and Perez. they haven't fucked up. <laughs> yeah, because Gasly, I think um, they've said like we're not going to pull him up uh, this year at least. I doubt he wants it. We need somebody from outside this hot house. Uh, yeah. We yeah. need someone who's been cultivated Fresh in meat. different soil. Yeah, and I think Hulkenberg and Perez, I mean, they're both veterans. They'll they'll be second to Verstappen, I think, with no with no problem, frankly. That'd be an um, interesting situation to bring in someone who's not going to count out to Max, who's like Perez wouldn't give a shit. Perez no. is like, I've been doing this way since you were in nappies, buddy. <laughs> like yeah. and Hulkenberg largely, you know, Hulkenberg would be fighting for that podium and then, you know, I don't he doesn't necessarily bow down either so yeah i think that'd be interesting i wonder if they'd want to rattle verstappen because verstappen's been very protected this entire time um it'd be interesting for them to sacrifice that but it definitely seems like they're sacrificing the constructor championship with this strategy you know they're trying to make max verstappen a world champion and it's not helping the team and this year especially this is the year to, to, to to get it to get that second place you know well, if Perez doesn't land at Red Bull, um, the rumor is he may push out George Russell from Williams. Um, Latifi, you know, could could go apparently, but like it's more likely that Russell will because Latifi has a lot of backing or something. Um, I mean, yeah, Russell's a better driver than two. It seems like a no-brainer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he uh, says, Russell says that Toto Wolf um, says that he will be on the grid next year so outwardly at least he's not worried mm. um but yeah ask you Esteban see... how that promise has played out yeah <laughs> it, that that might uh he might yeah they might pull a, a, an Ocon with him um and the other rumor again yeah Gasly at Alpha Tauri a teammate announcement for him though um before Bahrain and it looks like well again rumors here um, Yuki Tsunoda, I think, is currently the front runner, another Ooh. Formula Two driver. Nice uh, at Alpha Tauri. Um, Who would have thought that we'd get? I was worried we'd get none of these Formula Two. Yeah, same folks here. Coming up, and we were. I think like three weeks ago, we were saying like, man, there's so there's a such an amazing amount of talent coming up there, and they've nowhere to go. And then suddenly, people departing left, right, and center. What do we think about? I'm, you know, quick thought about Grosjean and Magnussen. Um, Grosjean, I feel like has done well out of F1, considering his talents, perhaps. Um, I feel for Magnussen a bit. He's kind of wilted yeah. in the Haas. Yeah. he. I think he has so much uh, fight in him, but no car to do with it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know who could have gotten more out of those cars. Like may like I genuinely I don't know. Maybe you you know you might need somebody with the skill set of uh 
you know, drivers from the seventies, right. Where they're much jankier machines, uh, much more temperamental because it really does seem like the Haas is a uniquely dysfunctional vehicle. Mm. And, uh, the fact that like, you know, at the end of last year, Steiner was saying like, I do like fundamentally, I do not understand what is happening. And he was like, there's something very weird about this car on a deep level. And I do not know what it is. And yeah, probably some of that is Steiner's and his technical department have clearly uh, made a bit of a dog's breakfast of uh, of things. But at the same time, like that description you just you just gave of like how the car is behaving with suspension. These are weird things. And while Grosjean and Magnussen have both looked the fool at times, uh, that car seems like custom built to discredit whoever is behind the wheel of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of things that are still up in the air, um, the Formula One 2021 calendar has apparently been a rough draft, at least, has been sent to teams. Uh, and it purportedly includes a new race in Saudi Arabia. Uh, and up to three triple headers here. Yikes. Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest uh, switch for scheduling, at least, is that the, uh, again, the addition of the race, but also the um, the race in Zandvoort, which was not run this year, uh, is being switched from the um, beginning of the year to more toward the autumn. Mm. Um, but yeah, and, and <laughs> 23 races packed onto a calendar is, again, going to result in a lot of back-to-back-to-back stuff, uh, which teams are probably not going to be too happy about. Uh, they didn't like it this year, <laughs> so we'll see. I don't, doesn't uh, It's unclear if this has uh, been ratified by anybody yet, uh, but that is at least what has been submitted to teams. Um, and submitted for our consideration, uh, Max Verstappen. Rob, can you... So we alluded uh, to this a little yeah. bit uh, when we were talking about the incident with uh verstappen and stroll in practice uh we didn't get into was the fact that when they uh sort of had their coming together during practice uh verstappen lost his shit uh basically on (laughs) over the radio uh and apologies we're going to say some slurs here uh real quick just because talking around them is going to be very cumbersome verstappen Mm -hmm. got on the radio and said, is this fucking guy blind? What the fuck is wrong with him, Jesus Christ? What a retard, I have damage. What a Mongol, I swear. And obviously, we know what it's about. Uh, and like, retard is an obvious one. Uh, Mongol seems pretty clear that he's talking about people with Down syndrome. Uh, that is the shortened, uh, calling people a mongoloid is a very common uh, insult particularly in certain sections of the internet uh, if you if you've gotten uh, some nasty commenters up in your business from like the game right. space for instance you've probably been called that uh, it's, at, it's at a common point. enough term back home as well like it, at least when I was growing up I'm not sure if it is anymore um, but I never heard, I never heard it said that way that shortened version I would have thought that it meant somebody from Mongolia the way he had said it but obviously that's not what he was saying um but yeah just like you know we we we, we kind of know that maybe Max is not the sharpest emotionally intelligent person in the world and this kind of like you know dumb shit is, well, is a good reminder of that and that's yes that's true and that's the so Max in the heat of the moment not at his best uh I think this gets compounded by the fact that, like, when he was asked about it, uh, he basically blew the entire he, he blew the entire thing off. Um, just had absolutely zero interest or contrition in uh, talking about it. Uh, Dre Harrison over at Motorsport One Hundred One uh, wrote a really good piece, sort of uh, unpacking the failure of his response, um, and so I urge you to to read that. Um, but Verstappen kind of blew the entire thing off, but maybe more worryingly, so did, uh, so did his boss, like Christian Horner also kind of downplayed the entire incident. Uh, so 
they kind of just ignored the entire situation. Mm. Um, and hope it blows over, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think even the and also there's an undercurrent of like just didn't really seem to give a shit and didn't even feel like performing giving a shit. Uh, and and so I think it's one thing for Max to uh, behave that way. Uh, what's a little more worrying is that the Red Bull team also seem to completely, uh, you know, blow the entire thing off. So disappointing. It's like everyone knows, you know, I was that person when I was a 13 year old who just said shit and didn't think that I was really being mean. I was just saying, I don't mean these things. I'm just saying it. And like, it's like, I'm, I have plenty of friends who are still like that or people I know over the years. And it's like, it's just tired when you see somebody who does it and then they're like, oh, they just don't consider it to mean anything when they're an adult, when they're like, I mean, he's young enough, I guess, but it's just disappointing. It's just no. like, you need, you need someone to smack you around the back of the head and be like, look, mate, this is yeah. not how the fucking world spins. Maybe that's how it, your experience of things are, but I don't see him to be uh, you know we it was it's the exact same mentality you expected when it, when you asked him about racism you know and kimmy is the same thing they're just dudes who aren't switched on in a it's not that they're like worldly it's just they, they don't have like that empathy or that understanding of other people's experiences that makes you stop when you're about to say some shit or makes you feel a little bit of contrition when you said something that makes that maybe you're like oh, actually if i think about this first they don't think about it they're just like, oh, you're just like making, this is the media trying to make a story of this. They just find any excuse to cast it off. And it's, it's just stupid. I'm just, I'm just sick of hearing about this shit. I don't know. Maybe it's just because too many years on the planet and you just lose all patience for it, but it's just annoying. Drew, I but, thought I heard you starting to say something. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying that these guys don't, these guys don't get a pass, <laughs> you know, cause they're, cause they're young or whatever. They're well, Formula I mean, One drivers. Yeah, totally. They are they're public internationally favors. known superstars. I think there's a useful counterpoint here. Uh, Lando Norris also said some things out of turn this weekend, though I don't think they're actually that bad. This is the other thing. Lando Norris uh, also spoke a little bit out of turn. Uh, he 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 said some mean things about uh, Lance Stroll. Uh, I think he made the comment that Stroll appears to not learn from anything he does. Um, Spicy. I <laughs> Rob is, Rob is I mean, shrugging in in a sort of ambivalence at, the, at that. It's it's not like this is the thing. Like it is it is not collegial what he said. Like it was a right. really like sort of pointed critique of uh, a fellow driver. But at the same time, like I don't know that collegiality is necessary. Like in that sense, I don't know that that is all that necessary like if you think a driver sucks out there and is being an asshole and a bad sport like i don't know that's still kind of in bounds i know it's not like corporate i I know it's not like polished or smooth Mm. but like him uh sort of telling off norris uh telling off stroll uh for uh for for his actions during during a race for causing um, a crash in the same part of the track so he's like he's also kind of making a point Right. Yeah. It was the same thing happened. Basically, he turned in, or he got to. Yeah. And he also sort of commented that um, he just somebody asked him about Hamilton's 92nd F1 race win, and Norris just said, "I'm happy for him. Nothing more. It doesn't mean anything to me, really. He's in a car which should win every race. Basically, he has to beat one or two other drivers. That's it. Fair play <laughs> to him. He's still doing the job he has to do. But yeah, just another win for him. And I get that, like. This gets this gets tense as well because I think there's always been a history of like concern trolling Hamilton uh, in F1. There are the double standards that black athletes are held to, but then there is the undeniable kernel of truth to what Norris is getting at, mm. which is that like how much how do how are drivers supposed to feel about these records being broken? Like how impressive are they really? A lot of current drivers feel like. These are impressive numbers. They're impressive achievements. Are they as impressive as the sheer numbers would suggest, right? And the answer on that front is undeniably no, right? Mm. Like, you know, you have, like, he, he he overcame Schumacher, who also had a bizarrely strong run of cars and yeah. lack of on-track competition. Yeah. Um, and this is now, and then behind Schumacher, you've got Vettel, 
who's a product of a similar F1 environment. Mm. And so to a degree, like Hamilton is an amazing competitor and has achieved some remarkable things, is also now the third driver in a row, basically third consecutive era of drivers like threatening to smash records or smashing records while kind of cruising to victory after victory. Uh, So it's not... Norris, you get where he's coming from and the remarks aren't even that bad, but he still immediately walked it back and apologized and said I was being stupid and careless uh, in media interviews and I haven't shown the respect I should uh, to certain people. I'm not that kind of person, so I know I should apologize to them, but also to everyone reading or listening. Uh, And I think that is, like... If there were a guy who probably had a case to be like, fuck it, I'm not apologizing. Like, he said what I'm going to say. Like, it's, yeah. I was asked my views. I gave I gave my views. I, I stand by them. Um, I think he could have done that. I don't think it would have been a big deal. Uh, but he didn't like the... You didn't like the picture he's painting himself out there. Mm. Max doesn't seem to care. And in he also a way wasn't making cruel. A, he also wasn't making a substantive a point. <laughs> Yeah, all he was doing well, yeah. was saying something nasty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, Norris has a critique of Stroll, which is that the guy keeps making the same mistake. And he basically says that. That is the thing he says. He's like, the guy screws up and he doesn't seem to learn. Which is the correct way to put that. Verstappen just gets on the radio and starts, like, screaming swears and slurs into the mic uh, over what just happened. And then doesn't doesn't own it. Um, and that's, that's a bad luck. Uh, and it's a really disappointing, there's, I think there's, I think there's value in at least acting like you give a shit. You know what Mm. I mean? Like, I understand that we're probably, certainly not in our lifetimes. We're not going to live in a world where people are free from prejudices and blind spots and insensitivities to other people's experiences. Like we're not, we're not going to get there, but I think there's value in getting people to shut the hell up when, you know, if you can't, if you can't have a modicum of empathy, at least fake respect for the rest of us. And and I think even from like a sports marketing perspective, to me, this is like, I'm with you where I think the, the most worrying part is just how, I don't know, like tone deaf Red Bull is to this whole thing because like there have been many athletes in many different sports who have turned fans away because of what they've said regardless of their skill set the one that comes to mind most often for me who has a similar sort of a national following is Conor McGregor who had like took over MMA by storm and very quickly lost a lot of fans in Ireland when he started getting uh loose with his with with this racism and 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 jingoism it was it it it's it just didn't feel right and and he very quickly lost a lot of that and then doors didn't open up for him and you know he's an independent country he runs owns his own image and business and whatnot and that's not the case when it comes to Verstappen and I, I hear you saying it was probably easy for them to like sweep this one under the rug given the weekend it was in it we're into a new race weekend news news stories lots going on but it's a little bit worrying, yeah, that he 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 makes such an unforced error, like didn't even just curse, like really abuse somebody with some pretty nasty words, and then eh, whatever. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, not our only news story which involves somebody who was doing something like that. But the next one gets a bit weirder. Shall I jump into it? Oh man, yeah. Oh, yeah um, this, is a, this is a roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just in a year of weird news. This one stands out. Yeah. So Vitaly Petrov, who F1 fans of recent memory will will know, I guess not that recent. I guess he's been ahead of racing for, I don't know, how long? Eight, eight nine years, maybe? He was around for a to long, long 2012. time. 2012. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, eight, eight years, eight, nine years. He, he was uh, given the job to run as a steward for the Portuguese Grand Prix. He's not Portuguese. He's, he's Russian. Um, uh, and pretty much right away, there was a bit of backlash from uh, some LGBTQ plus um, uh, organization called Racing Pride, and I think maybe also Lewis Hamilton. Um, yeah, because of some, I'll just re- I'll read the quote. I don't want to get too much into it because the way the story ends, it ends up being you know sort of really really changes. F- flavor of disgusting uh, pretty sharply he says uh, i i this is in petrov in relation to hamilton wearing the brianna taylor t-shirt um uh when he won what race was it i'm trying to remember 
He's won so many races. Which was of that, the 92? Was that Monza? <laughs> no, he didn't win Monza. He won uh, something else. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, Petrov says, I think half of the audience did not understand at all what this shirt was until it was explained, Petrov said in an interview at a Russian publication, which if I can insert myself here, maybe a good thing that's maybe the point of doing this but it's <laughs> to raise awareness but what okay and then he goes on to say and what if one of the drivers confesses interesting uh word there uh to being gay and will they go out with a rainbow flag and urge everyone to become gay there are a lot of examples so petrov you know sort of his words are almost so stupid that it's hard to find I've malice seen that's in them. examples of other slippery slopes and not drivers who have gone out with rainbow <laughs> flags to recruit people into the gay lifestyle. I, I assume there's not a lot on. of examples of that. Some some of the feeder divisions F1 have some interesting characters and Petrov clearly didn't like it. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are other examples. I don't know. People, you know, vegans. I don't What, what else is there? Uh, Vitaly, which, which other things don't rub you the right way? So yeah, obviously he's 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 in a bit of he's in the Stone Age a bit. Um, but uh, so there was a bit of back and forth around that. The FIA came out and sort of um, justified his inclusion. It looked like it was probably just gonna all go ahead, and then suddenly there's news out of Russia that his father is assassinated. Um, I heard he was had been murdered by a gunshot, but uh, upon reading this article. Uh, from RT, I guess his father, Alexander Petrov, is an influential local businessman and politician in uh, the Leningrad region. He There has been reports and reporting on him over the years as having ties to criminal uh, organizations, be them uh, positive ones or negative ones. Uh, well, I, I don't want to say positive or negative, be him on the, <laughs> on the side of them or against, you know. There's, yeah. there's stuff going on there. A couple of news stories got pu- pulled and retracted over the years. He's a he's a figure, and he's basically known as the sort of the 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 big um the big cheese in this part of Russia. Um, he was assassinated by sniper fire, um, in in that town, uh, which led to Vitaly Petrov clearly, um, going home. So, uh, reneging on his on the job that he'd been given at the F1 this past weekend, um. But yeah, just a completely the master of Vyborg was his was his uh, um, nickname as it, with to do with his shadowy his ties between the the, the shadowy criminal underworld. Um, so nobody knows why he was killed, who who pulled off the hit. I don't know. It just sounds like something out of a James Bond movie or a video game. Um, you know, I think that type of criminality is not common in lots of the developed world and perhaps is a bit more common in, I don't want to paint too, with too broad a brush here when it comes to uh, geopolitics in Europe, but um, sadly this type of stuff is a, is a, is a bit more common in those parts of the world. Um, but still just completely bizarre and shocking um, stuff altogether. I don't know if we'll hear more news about it, um, I don't necessarily need to know why, but you can follow, I'm sure, Russian news outlets if you want to to learn more about that. But Petrov was not there on the weekend. He went home to um, mourn and, and bury his late father, I, I, I guess. Uh, crazy Whew. stuff. Really, really strange. Uh, well, Danny, uh, let's move on here um, to the next race. Well, we've got uh, some minutes left. Sure. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Good point. We're, we're, this is a long ass... Um, um, episode with a lot of stuff going on uh, in in a bizarrely long season I guess I, I was totally wrong as I tend to be quite a lot I may speak authoritatively but I am often often wrong about things take everything I say with a pinch of salt we had lots of races this year one thing I was not expecting was to return to Imola which is a track which I uh, sort of is part of my F1 heyday because it was around for almost all of the 90s and into the early aughts I guess is when I stopped watching F1 for a good while there Um and it's a it's a it's a fun little track, and it'll be interesting to go back there with these fast cars. Uh, the name of the track is the Autodromo Enzo e Dini Ferrari, which is named after um, Enzo and his son, who died tragically early, at the age of twenty four. Uh, it's actually quite close to uh, Maranello, close to where the Monza is. So if they're having any fans here, 
um, there'll be lots of them uh, because it's it's quite close. Uh, so this is located in um, Imola. is is a track in San Marino, which for those who don't know is a microstate, um, which is basically surrounded by Italy. It's in the north of Italy. Uh, it's got about thirty three thousand people in it. It was founded in three hundred and ten A.D. as lots of Italian city states were around then. It's kind of surrounded by mountains, so um, it's uh, it's it's been around for a long time. It's got lots of beautiful old architecture, and when the eighteen sixty two treaty, which sort of was the creation of Italy as we know it today happened they were like nah we still want to be our own thing so um the the microstate of San Marino was was created um the track itself uh is uh, interesting it's not particularly wide it's counterclockwise 63 laps on its current configuration it's a bit different to how we would have known it in 20 uh, or sorry, in the years it was running between 81 and 2006, it got a fairly substantial update in August 20, oh, sorry, in 2007. Uh, Herman Tilke was part of that revamp. They added some escape roads. Um, they added a new paddock and chicane. Uh, one of the biggest changes that happened prior to that was the Tamburillo Corner, which um, uh, people will know, especially if they listen to our most recent podcast, is uh, sadly, tragically, the place where Ayrton Senna uh, left this mortal coil. It's where he had his horrific... Um, crash uh, which took his life um it used to be a fairly long i would what would you say like a long um full throttle but not particularly difficult turn it was just taken very high speed kind of like a 180r is that what the name of the one long large radius corner yeah yes that type of situation um with, with with the the problem you tend to have with those also being that there is clearly not enough runoff to compensate for the amount of um, speed you're taking into it um but actually before the the tragic death of Ayrton Senna uh, Nelson Piquet uh, uh Ricardo Patrese and Berger also had fairly big crashes there over the years um but they all worked away walked away from it so basically after the crash w- with Senna um uh, the they turned the Tamburillo into a three three turner it's, it's kind of like a chicane so you don't take it um uh, at full speed anymore um the track is 63 laps. There is currently no record because of the layout. It's new for everyone. There's one DRS straight on the straight, which is kind of a higgledy-piggledy one. This is a weird track. It's got 17 corners officially, but it's probably closer to something like 14. There's a lot of like little dinks on the straights and stuff. It kind of undulates a little bit like that, kind of like last week's race, kind of like Hungaro Ring. Um, but very different. It, it kind of has a sense of Monza, but very different to Monza insofar as Monza has 11 turns and this one has, yeah at least officially 17 um if you want to go check out some laps of it MotoGP comes here time to time i think they do the 19 turn uh circuit version of it um yeah and it's kind of hard to tell you which turn to look at i think minerali is often known as one that's that's quite interesting um it goes up and down a bunch uh Ravaza at the end of the the um the double right handers at the end of the track are fun but uh, I kind of don't want to bother telling you any of them because there's so many turns and it's such a complex track with lots of highlights that it, I, I'm i not sure if I could paint a good picture of any one of them. Um, but it should be fun. Also, we haven't had a counterclockwise track in a while. Seems like they're rare and rare. Yeah, also rare is um, pretty <sighs> mild weather. Uh precipitation virtually zero um, and steady temperatures across the weekend qualifying and... Uh, uh, race day. By the way, we're only having one practice session here. Really? That's um, right. That's we're doing this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So it'll be about sixty-five degrees Fahrenheit or uh, eighteen Celsius. Um, yeah. Let's see. Wind. So does that mean there's no Friday? Big either. It's qu- it's no, I think it's just Saturday. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Something was on. Somebody had a bar mitzvah booked on the Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, be sure to. I try to retweet the uh, the uh, the at least the U.S. ESPN broadcast times from our Twitter account at Shift F One Podcast. You can also send us an email over at Shift F One Podcast at Gmail dot com. I'm at Drew Scalen. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and uh, at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Do we want to take it around the world real quick, Danny? Let's race around the world. <laughs> We got those camping world trucks at the Martinville Speedway for the NASCAR Hall of Fame 200. Wow. The Xfinity Series, also same place for the Draft Top 250. Hmm. Uh, The Amster WeatherTech Championship is at Laguna Seca. The Motocross Grand Prix is at Jakarta. And we got NASCAR. Jakarta. I get it. I get it. Uh, They're at at the Texas Motor Speedway for the... 
Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500. Beautiful. Going to drive around Echo Park, Los Angeles. Echo Park's in LA. Yep. Let's do it. Street circuits. Uh, and uh, Formula One kicking off this weekend, uh, October 31st. Saturday, free practice one at 5 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN, followed by qualifying at 9 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN two and the race. This is that's it. It's three sessions. The race is November 1st, Sunday at 7, 10 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN two. The deuce. Spooky. Uh, looking forward to it, Danny. Absolutely. Can't wait. Yeah. Sauna, sauna dish to all my friends back home in Ireland. Happy Halloween to the rest of you. Uh, have a good one. Get dressed up. Don't go outside. <laughs> Stay in your house dressed up. Good times. 2020. Let's keep going. Can't get only, only uphill from here. Final thoughts, Rob? Just enjoying uh, this sort of tour of little used or never used F1 tracks. Uh, yeah, it's, honestly, like yeah. the bend, bend the silver lining to this entire uh, nightmare year. Totally. I'm going to miss it. How are they ever going to put Paul Ricard back on this calendar? <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yeah.